Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. Talking about how to be culturally relevant while also avoiding what we call syncretism. For those of you who are working or attempting to work with immigrant communities, with people who are from Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu backgrounds, or uh, trying to find ways to relate to the culture, but also be careful not to enter into dangerous sin or syncretism. What is syncretism even? We'll be talking about that today. But this is important for all of us, even those who are working in your own culture, your own culture to try to understand how can you make the gospel relevant while not losing the power of the gospel by overcompensating, by trying to make it so easy for people. And these are important issues for us to talk about today. So I know you're going to enjoy this. I do apologize. The recording is a little bit choppy in a few places or pixelated. So uh, please just endure that if you can. There's some really good content there that I think is going to be extremely helpful to you. So uh, in just a moment, we'll head right into that episode. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Or frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple-Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. And one of the things I want to start with is just to say that as we are sharing the gospel and we are wanting to multiply disciples, we want to be what we call culturally relevant, culturally relevant. We want the message that we are sharing to be good news for them in their cultural context. And uh, particularly if you are someone who is an outsider to that culture, say, for example, you are um, from a Christian background, you are in India and you're from Mizoram and you're trying to reach Muslims in North India. Okay, you are you are working in a very different cultural context from your own context that you grew up in. You are working what we say cross culturally. So you need to look for ways that you can make good news, the gospel message relevant to them. And even the expression of worship and the way that we 
um, the way that we do church, everything, make it culturally relevant to the people so that we're not creating barriers, big blockages where people cannot come to Christ because of something that has nothing to do with the gospel. It has to do with cultural barriers, right? We don't want there to be barriers that prevent people from coming to know Jesus and kind of having their lives transformed and becoming his follower that are simply cultural barriers. We want to remove those cultural barriers and we want to find ways to make the gospel culturally relevant so people can understand it. Because when we're communicating, if we communicate in a way that they understand there's much more chance that they are going to receive that message. If we communicate in a way that makes no sense to them and their culture and their worldview, there's going to be an immediate blockage and they're going to think, this message is not for me. This is for people from another place. These are This, is, uh, this message are people from Mizoram or this message is for people from America or from another country or from Western countries. This is not relevant for me in my context, right? We want to see things be culturally relevant. Our presentation of the gospel, the way that we do church. So let me just give you a quick example to explain what I mean by cultural relevancy. Uh, for example, when we went to Nepal and we started working there, we saw that um, most of the time when people were to go into a temple or um, we saw that even in the churches, especially churches back then, now it's changed a little bit now, but uh, that the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other and they didn't see, sit in chairs, they sat on the floor. Right. And so and they took their shoes off when they entered the church building. OK, so all of these things are cultural adaptations or cultural relevancy, things that we do to make the gospel more familiar, more friendly in their context. And this is really important for us to do if we're going to be um, fruitful and effective practitioners, people who are able to communicate the gospel in an effective way and see people respond. Again, no barriers. We want to get rid of any barrier. Now, does it say in the Bible that you have to sit on the floor? No. Does it say in the Bible you should be sitting in chairs in church? No. Okay. This is not determined in, in, in scripture, right? So we are culturally free to adapt and do things in different ways in different contexts as to what will be best to make the gospel feel normal to them, make the gospel feel relevant, make it feel uh, familiar to them. So you're not creating those barriers. Okay. So, right. So syncretism is when we, um, when we meld or merge two different religious uh, perspectives together into one. I was looking up just before this call to um, check what is the definition of syncretism? And Webster's definition, Merriam-Webster defines it as the combination of different forms of belief or practice or the fusion of two or more originally different forms. Okay, so it's the putting together of two or more originally different religious expressions. So um, syncretism, according to that definition, I would say is um, it's not wrong, right? It's natural. It's normal that there would be some combining 
um, when we are trying to be culturally relevant, right, that there's going to be some combination. So I want to speak about when is syncretism dangerous? When is combining, say, religious forms and um, religion, which is the practice of wearing, you know, these uh, African traditional masks and costumes, um, you know, maybe walking up on stilts like the witch doctors do during their festivals. When is that dangerous or wrong or even sinful? And when is it being culturally relevant? When is it looking for ways to celebrate the culture that God has created? And how can we, how can we do that? How do we do that effectively? And um, as we talk about syncretism and when is it dangerous, Having established, we do want to be culturally relevant. I, I hope everybody's on board with that, right? Um, when is it dangerous? I think we need to understand, first of all, that the combining of religious practices is it happens in Scripture, okay? And if you look at the New Testament, as the gospel moved from the Jewish world, where it first started, Jesus was a Jew, um, and it was, you know, the gospel first went to the Jews, but then as the Apostle Paul began to take it to the Gentiles, there was a combining of things, and there was a, a challenge, and there was a big debate in the book of Acts over whether or not um, people could eat uh, meat offered to idols or not, and there was, there was a lot of wrestling with this issue because the gospel needed to become relevant and needed, we needed to strip away the Jewish cultural things and allow people not to have a heavy burden upon them. So combining of the, of Judaism and Christianity, we see that in the Bible. Okay. And so um, it's, it's not wrong for us to see some combining of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or animistic religions, tribal religions with Christianity, but we need to know when it gets dangerous. Um, in the Bible, we see that in the Old Testament, we find the Passover ceremony, right? And then we find in the New Testament that cultural form was used to explain um, Jesus' death, right? He was the Passover lamb. So we find the use of Jew Jewish um, cultural forms in the New Testament, right? And so can we use cultural forms from other, um, other religions or from other uh, practices and ways? And I would say, yes, we can and we should, but we need to do it wisely and we need to do it carefully. Um, so when is it wrong? I'm going to just start there and then I'll talk about a few examples of when it's not wrong and when it's right to do that and helpful. So when is it wrong? And, and you know, this is my own opinion after years of working in other cultures and other religious contexts. But um, one thing that I always avoid is anything to do with idol worship. Okay, so you want to avoid anything that has to do with idol worship. Uh, you want to avoid anything that has to do with the worship of demonic spirits or engaging with the demonic. Okay, so these are two big things to avoid and that you need to carefully discern, is this practice demonic or not? Um, is this practice have demonic roots? 
Um, and again, there you want to think about the commonly understood. Is it commonly understood by the people that this is demonic or that this is the worship of demons or that this is the worship of other gods? Okay, as in Hinduism. Um, so, yeah, we could talk in a lot of detail about this. I encourage you to take the course if you're interested. Um, and we'll go into more detail in the small groups and stuff discussing that. But if it has some kind of non-Christian root, but it's not commonly understood to mean that, I think you go with the common understanding. Okay, so an example of that would be the Christmas tree, right? How many of you have put Christmas trees in your house or you even put them in your churches or you put them at your workplace at Christmas time, right? The Christmas tree is a commonly accepted Christian practice, right? To put up a Christmas tree in many, many churches across the West and, and all over the world um, use the Christmas tree. Does the Christmas tree have Christian roots? Does it have biblical roots? No, it does not. It does not, right? Um, but it, in fact, the, the roots of the Christmas tree are from um, the worship of other gods in uh, Northern uh, Europe, right? And the, the droid, the, the druids, is that how you say that word? <laughs> the druids would, would gather around the Christmas tree and they would chant and do different things. But it was a cultural form that was redeemed that means it was changed in its meaning. It was used by Christians and they began to give it new meanings. Okay, so um, always think about the commonly understood meaning, not necessarily only the root meaning after you do a lot of deep research and dig really deeply. If you have to dig really deeply and when you ask other people, what does this mean? They don't know, then you can probably use that as a contextual or culturally relevant symbol that um, that doesn't have any that doesn't have any issue for you. Okay, but when it comes to <clears throat> actual worship of other gods or idols, you need to avoid that. You need to be careful and not do that. So let me just give an example. Um, in Thailand, there is a festival called Songkran. And at the time of Sankran, they have a ceremony where people go and they they bow to their elders, right? And they the elders bless them and they put water on them and they they um, you know they honor they bow down before them and honor them. And then as they go around, they bow down to some of the elders. And the elders bless them, and then there's usually a statue of Buddha, and they bow down. Buddha, and then they go uh, with the other elders, right? So in Thailand, where I live and work, I wanted to participate in the honoring of the elders because that's biblical, right? The Bible says that we should honor our elders and we should show respect to them and we should love them and obey them, right? So I wanted to honor the elders, but I didn't want to bow down to Buddha. So what did I do? I went and I wide, I, I bowed down to the elders and they blessed me and you know, I uh, I also thank them and wish them a happy new year because this happens at the Thai new time. And then when when it came to go to bow down to the, the Buddha, I just skipped that and I moved through that. And then I went and bowed to the elders again. So I was not going to compromise 
by going against scripture, going against the word of God and what his command by bowing down to the idol in order to participate in the Sankran ceremony. But I participated in what I could without violating scripture. Does that make sense? Right? So you want to be as culturally relevant as you can without uh, doing things that are directly prohibited by scripture. And um, you want to encourage the new believers to continue to practice their culture as much as they can without violating scripture. Okay. And so um, in India, many, I know there's Indians on here. We encourage people at the time of Diwali, which we just celebrated in India and the Hindu big festival times. These are times when people go home and they celebrate with their families. It's, it's like Christmas for us in the West. Everybody goes home at Diwali. They have a lot of special food. They have lots of fun together. The parents get excited about their kids coming back home. So we encourage people, go home during Diwali but you don't want to do anything with idol worship. Just ask to be excused from that. And yes, there may be some pressure to do it. You're going to have to face that. So you want to prepare new believers to face that pressure. But go and participate and be part of your family. Help them cook their food and um, you know, show your parents you love them and take them gifts as we do at Diwali time and be a part of your family. Don't withdraw from your family just because you've become a Christian. Right. Because as you do that, you're going to build up again barriers and walls and blockages that prevent gospel spread. They prevent you from sharing Jesus with your family and with your neighbors and the people around you. So um, syncretism, you know, it does, you know, some syncretism, like I participated in a sense, I participated in that cultural practice is healthy and good. You want to find ways to make the gospel relevant but you want to avoid things that are especially prohibited in scripture. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of another example. Oh, there was another point I wanted to be sure and make, and that is on these kinds of decisions, when you're making decisions about what to do about these cultural practices, you need to make sure that it is the insiders to that culture who are making the decisions. If you are an outsider, careful that you don't dictate as a Christian background believer what they should do, right? What you want to do is show them what scripture says, talk about the worship of demons, talk about demonic things, witchcraft, show them scriptures in the Bible about that. But then Leave those decisions with them as the insiders. Your person of peace, the person who is from that culture itself, should be making those decisions, not you. Your job is to teach them principles and give them examples, but let them make those choices and decisions. And be careful as the outsider that you are not determining what decisions they are going to make as insiders in their culture and what's, you know, many times as I've gone through this process with Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims, the decisions they make aren't necessarily what I would have chosen for them, but that is not my decision to make. That's their decision to make because this is their culture, right? So help them process, help them pray, show them what scripture says, but let the decision be with the insiders. 
As some of you know, I grew up in West Africa. I was born in Nigeria. My parents served in Ghana and Liberia and later in Malawi and Eritrea. And so I do have a little bit of understanding and remembrance of those contexts that you are in. And I would just say that African culture is beautiful and the carving of the masks are, you know, it's, it's part of your culture, but the use of them, the form is not evil, but it's the use of that mask that can become evil, right? And so if you have any doubt, let's say there's a mask carving that someone gave you and you don't know if you should keep that in your house or if you should have that or if your children are playing with it and they're holding it up is that evil is that going to you know uh affect them spiritually because some demonic spirits attached to that in some way i would just say to you pray over it <laughs> pray over that mass that object and cleanse it spiritually and just command anything that's attached to it anything demonic that's connected with it to be cut off in the name of jesus and, and that this is now something that's to be used for your children's play and fun. It's to be used as a decoration. And you just rebuke and command every demonic spirit to be gone from that, right? But it African carvings are beautiful. And um, yeah, I have some up in my office. I was going to show them to you, but I don't have them there right now. Uh, they're downstairs in my house. African carvings are beautiful are those statues in an african context are they idols should we not have them you know no they're beautiful they're a part of your culture see what you can do to be relevant and to use those and to celebrate the the um, amazing skill of those african carvers and even those uh amazing dresses and headdresses and things they're, they're not something that i would just say get rid of completely from your culture but be careful that they are not associated with the demonic, that you're not worshiping demonic spirits. They're not, you're not, you know, use it. If they've been used for trances where people went into a, a, a demonic trance before I would want to even touch that or wear that, I would pray over it and cleanse it and, um, you know, be careful about how it's used. And again, think about common meaning. If you put that costume on, are people going to assume that you are, you know, involved with witchcraft and doing things that are demonic? If that is the assumption that common people will make, then I would avoid that, right? Because you want to be representing yourself as a follower of Jesus, a follower of the King of Kings. Making disciples and sharing Jesus with those around you can be difficult. We need help to keep our faith alive as we step out to do new things. Faith to Move Mountains, Stirring Our Faith to Believe for Movements Among the Unreached is a 30-day devotional that will encourage your heart and build your faith. In it, I and my co-author, Kevin Sutter, share a scripture, a story, and a challenge each day from years of frontline experience working in tough places. Like I said, making disciples can be hard, progress is often slow, and breakthroughs seem distant. This devotional will kickstart your faith for a movement of disciples in your area. Grab a copy on Amazon.com today. A lot of different things today. We talked about what syncretism is. We talked about the importance of being culturally relevant. Let me give you one takeaway and an action step to put into practice this week. All right, so 
we want the gospel to be as, as easily accessible to people as possible. We don't want to make barriers that will prevent people from coming to Christ because of the different uh, cultural things or maybe even personality things or political things. We want to be careful to not create barriers to prevent people from coming to Christ. So here's my question for you this week as you think about this. What kinds of barriers might be there in the culture that are not things that have to do with the Word of God? They're not biblical mandates, but they're cultural things. They're, they're barriers that are there that I could remove and I could create bridges to see people able to cross over. It may be to do with the form of worship. It may be to do with uh, other kinds of things that we're aligned to um, maybe politically or we're aligned to them in some cultural way, but they're maybe not really the core of the gospel. Think about that this week. How could I remove some unnecessary barriers that are there to help people come to Christ and to use things that are in the culture, maybe even good in our culture and celebrate or in the culture of the people you're trying to reach? What can you do to create bridges and remove barriers this week? We'll see you in the next episode. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember... God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.